I'm Grant Berry. Welcome to the Romans 911 podcast. We're stepping into the reconnection in the one new man into John 17, love and unity is becoming a reality. Beloved, today I want to focus and introduce to you the Romans 911 webinar. There are three focuses to the Romans 911 Project media plan. The first is actually the webinar, which we're going to listen to today. The second is this podcast that we're on, Romans 911 Podcast. And then our third and final focus for the media plan is the Romans 911 Talks. And these are interviews with various messianic and gentile leaders that are moving into the reconnection message as well as to interview other leaders to enter into dialogue and discussion to really bring this message to the threshold of the church that is now our mission in these next few years that the church the greater church at large would have the opportunity not just to hear the message but also to understand and embrace the significance of the reconnection message during these days. And as we know, it's like a golden key that opens the door to the Father's end time plans, but it only comes by spiritual revelation. And indeed, it has been hidden during the church age and is really only just now coming to light in its fullness as we come into the unveiling of this mystery that Paul challenged us not to be ignorant about as we come into the fullness of the Gentiles and Israel's salvation. Our approach to the Romans 911 Project webinar is to basically have almost like a, a virtual Bible study, a format where believers can come in over Zoom from different nations and we can come together in love and unity and really begin to dialogue. And the way we've set up the webinar focus is we've worked with, for a couple of years before we even launched the media program, many different leaders and watchmen that have gone deeper already into this reconnection message. And we've invited them to be panelists with us. And so what we do is I host the uh, webinar and I have one topic that I bring to light to give a brief description. And then I open it up for the panelists to dialogue and share. And then for the other half of the webinar, we're totally open to you, the beloved, with any questions, concerns, and you can feel free to enter into dialogue with us on these issues. And I tell you, there's a very necessary part of this restoration, which requires us coming together and talking things through without any negative emotions, but in a, a positive dialogue that we can begin to really unpack and expose the way the evil one has fostered separation between us 
in these days and in these next few years, I believe we're going to see the Father release a greater measure of His love through us that will enable us to melt away the obstacles and work through our differences. So we're very pleased to introduce to you several recordings over the next few weeks that we're going to be listening to from our webinar podcasts. And if you'd like to join us, we meet the first Thursday of each month. You can go onto the Romans 911 website, romans911.org, and sign up there. And when you sign up, we will send you a free copy of the Romans 911 second edition. Beloved, blessings to you and, and enjoy this podcast. Lots of love. Welcome, everyone, to the Romans 911 project webinar we're stepping into the restoration in the one you man and the reformation in the ecclesia in, in the church is becoming a reality we really want to encourage everyone um just to be comfortable this is really a family affair and this webinar is designed for our interaction and we want to encourage you questions comments there is such a need for us in this time to enter into a place of dialogue. And tonight, um, we're reading from pages six to pages eight, or we're, we're discussing the issues, and the heading is called The Disconnection. And our topic of discussion is to, tonight is we wouldn't need a reconnection if we were not disconnected. Just want to give us a little bit of a background of this disconnection and then I'm going to hand over to our panelists who are going to engage in deeper conversation related to how this disconnection came about and some of the effects that is has caused on on both sides of the family. But I want to tell you beloved that these two pages most probably are some of the most power packed uh, pages in the entire book. You know, when the church really understands the the the, the fullness of of how this disconnection in the family has affected the ecclesia and the various obstacles that have come about as a result, we are going to run to these things with all our heart and look for healing and restoration because we will understand that that there's a process and a pathway here that the father is looking to bring healing and restoration through his mercy and his love so that he can fully reunite us in the one you man and of course foundational to john 17 love and unity is this restoration in the family of god between jew and gentile and in the Romans 911 study uh, video teachings, we have this image and it came up, the Holy Spirit brought it up in, in the prayer hour uh, in the One You Man intersection. It, it, it's an image of a foundation and the foundation has a crack in it. And uh, it's, it's a powerful image because it speaks to us um, really of, of a focus that there is a crack in the foundation of, of see in the church. Remember, the church is built foundations of the apostles and the prophets, of which Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, is the cornerstone. And in his family is this, in the foundation of the ecclesia, 
is this crack that now that Israel's awakening, now that God begins to restore Israel, now that God begins to remember his covenants to his firstborn children to awaken and restore them, this crack in the foundation is the first place that the Lord Father looks to, to, to heal and restore. Why? Because it was the place where disconnection came about. It was the place where the enemy was able to cause division in the family of God, in the one new man that Yeshua created at the cross and the resurrection. And of course, now Israel's awakening the Father needs to restore this place because it will take back something strategic from the enemy, I believe in the heavenlies, called division that is going to empower the body to go after other divisions. And so there's a pathway to the restoration and reconciliation that will lead us to the fullness of John 17, love and unity, that will lead us to the glory that the Father's looking to pour out. When you get a chance this week, take a look at John 17 again and underline the word glory or glorify in that chapter. You'll see it nine times and five times in the first five verses. The Lord is focusing us on his glory. And this restoration has to do foundationally with restoring Jew and Gentile. You can see that in verses 6 to 19. And in verses 20, he switches now, and then he says, now I'm going to pray for those who will believe in me through your message. So he was praying for the Jewish believers first, who, who were given the covenants, but then took Yeshua out to the nations so that God's children from the nations could believe in him and become one together with Israel to receive her promises and covenants. And that is the one you man. That is the one you man in the book of Acts that had the glory and the fire of God upon it. That is the one new man that changed the world that Rome could not contend. And the Lord now looks to restore the former glory for the latter glory. And in these couple of pages, we, we see how the enemy has worked his way into the body. Beloved, it's the evil, it's the evil one that needs to be exposed here. It's the obstacles that he has sown into the hearts of Jewish and Gentile believers that keep us on separate tracks. But we know that God is sovereign. And so there is a time now that this and he must be disarmed. And that will come through knowledge and revelation and us coming together, talking and dialoguing and that's why God has given this project and especially the video teachings for us to get engage in to take us deeper into knowledge revelation and understanding and Paul I want to start with you talk talk to us a little bit about how this disconnection came about I've given a lot of thought to this in the past and and I find it interesting that scripture is very clear about the one new man scripture is very clear about how gentiles are supposed to treat um being grafted in with the jewish people and not be proud so um the first question is how did it happen i there's all kinds of different things that i think happen when 
when people start talking about things and believing things, and then there's a shift, and I believe that was a subtle shift. A lot of people point to a specific time when um, when Constantine made a decision, but from my reading, even the early, some of the early Gentile uh, fathers of the faith who are highly reverence whose works are really looked at began to sneak in this this anti-semitic concepts and so i think it was something that was subtle in the start i think it began to build in slowly uh i think if you believe scripture there's a pride element we started to the gentiles started to look at uh, themselves as as being more maybe more numerous and thinking that that they're really taking over and and i think it built up over a period of time until it got to the point where uh it it just has gotten so ingrained in the church that, that it's really difficult to look at i i think that there are people who think it's just one group of people or maybe one denomination and I've found a good number of churches that really tend to be solid foundational biblical uh, Protestant churches that have elements of this separation in it and so there's there's this subtlety that I think was built in and over the thousands of years it, it really has increased and it's become more accepted. It's been built into, I think, my wife talks a lot about it. Uh, I, I rarely look at what what the commentaries say, but the commentaries, I think a lot of times have built in this, this separation concept. And so I think it was subtle at first, that's my feeling. Uh, obviously, the one reason the separation came in is because Satan wants to separate us. When you look at Ephesians, the Bible, it, it talks about Jesus suffered in the flesh to create a one new man. So I don't think Yeshua Jesus just suffered for no reason. There are, there are obviously reasons that he had to suffer. And one of the reasons he suffered in the flesh, one of the reasons he sacrificed is that we would be one. And I think it's critical. So I look at this. The interesting thing I was pondering just recently, I had a lot of time to just sit around looking at the ocean, so it's been fun. When you look at what's written in scripture, it seems like the concept of the one new man, the need for us to be one, all of the information in Romans was so quickly shifted away from. I've begun to wonder if maybe this this material is written into the word just for this time and season and just for us. And maybe, I would think if, if I was doing a teaching, I would think that people are gonna carry it on. So did God have Paul write these things in with the understanding that we're gonna shift away from it so that we could rediscover this truth and reestablish this truth? That was, that was a thought I had. You would, you would think that if it was just a teaching, it would have lasted longer. It wouldn't have shifted so quickly and so subtly away from the one new man concept. And so I, I'm really suspecting that right now we're looking at something that God has put here so that we could rediscover it as much as it was put there to try and teach and prevent this from happening. So uh, I'm kind of excited as we go through this teaching 
as we go through the concepts and we begin to reestablish the one new man and the unity that God wanted. I think that I, I've always been a firm believer that God never created cookie cutter believers, that we each have a distinct personality, distinct people. And if we don't fit into our position, then we're not going to be successful. And so this one new man bringing the Jewish restoration and a Jewish reconnection, I think is a critical time. And it's going to bring everybody into their specific place. And when we're all in our specific place, your, your foundation concept, if one rock is out of place, the foundation is in pretty pretty rough shape. So I, like I said, I think it was a subtle thing that it came in at first. I think it built on it and his teachers who were respected at the time were passing it on, It's it built up. But the ultimate, I think the ultimate foundation is Satan didn't want us to be successful. And now we're in a position where we're starting to move towards that success once again. So, you know, as you focus, Paul, on, on the teachings of replacement thinking. A lot of people don't even know what replacement theology is. It's ah. defined well in the book. Basically, to give you a brief description, replacement theology is that the church now inherits all of Israel's covenants and promises. They no longer apply to the people of Israel. That's the, the briefest explanation I could give. But let's also, let's have one of the other panelists focus on on where Rome was at at the time, because you had a mix, you had a, a horrible combination here of, of teachings that were beginning to develop in the church, you know, because there is truth, there is truth to the fact that Israel, the believing Jew and believing Gentile make up the new Israel, but never without its connection to Israel. And that's the deception. And of course, that's what how the enemy works. He takes truth and he twists it. And so there's subtleties that uh, need to be exposed that the Romans 911 project brings to light masterfully the, the Holy Spirit has has done to help us understand how to unpack these things. But one, uh, if, if one of the other panelists could comment on where Rome was coming from, because Rome was steeped in, in, in anti-Semitism and they hated, uh, they hated the Jews. So you had a you had this these two influences working together. Well, I just want to say that where I believe that Rome was coming from at the time is you had all the pagan religions in the area and they're having all these polytheistic gods. And in the earliest, you know, around the early fourth century, you have Constantine come into rule. You had multiple other emperors that had ruled at that time and what you were seeing was really the blame of the the Jewish people for having killed Messiah. I think that was really one of, if not the primary issue at the time, which uh, fueled the anti-Semitism. And so there was this prideful concept about how the Jews had missed it, which again, there's pieces of truth in this but where the Gentile believers had really gained access and knowledge that they were the ones that got revelation and truth. And so I believe that this is where they were coming from as they were saying, if the Gentiles or Jews had now murdered Messiah, then we need to do away with all 
of the Jewish customs because these people, and this is this was their perspective, are are so sinful and detestable that we need to do away with all their practices and cleanse our society from their concepts. And so I believe that that was a huge breeding of anti-Semitism that came in from a little bit of truth mixed with um, a lot of misunderstanding. And that opened the door for the anti-Messiah or anti-Christ spirit to come in and bring all that division. And so there was a lot of control going on in that political environment and they wanted to radicalize it and create one religion that they could control. And so they were trying to keep all the Jews and their concepts and Jewish thought out. And they felt like anything that they even had that could have been considered truth that they wanted to separate it. So thus they separated Easter from Pesach or Passover. And this is where I think a huge jump in that split began because of the control of what was going on at that time. And with that blame shifting of trying to say that the Jews killed Messiah, which is interesting because Constantine himself was born from a Jewish family and he himself was a convert to Christianity in his early age. So this was, I think, you know, some of it was him trying to work through his own issues as well. And so he's swinging to this whole other spectrum as being like these people being the Jews or the enemy. And so I think this is what was going on in the political environment, which played out um, with what was going on in Rome at the time. Also, you know, because they had a pantheist background before Christianity, you know, the Jews were always a thorn in their sides because they were monotheists. They worshiped one God and they were so insistent uh, in their expression and their practices. You know, the, uh, Israel was always a thorn to, to Rome. So, so you've got this, you've got this, the, think about it for a moment. You've got the teachings beginning to come to the, from the, from the mind and the intellect, from replacement thinking coming from wonderful, wonderful theologians like Justin Marta and Arrhenius. I mean, they taught some great things, but in this area, I think they, you know, they 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 misunderstood. But that, but look how the the enemy comes at our minds, and then from our hearts and spirits comes this place of anti-Semitism from from the from the Roman side as well. And they do you know that that once they once the church nationalized and moved ahead, they went after anyone looking to practice or stay connected to their original Jewish uh, apostolic roots. For two centuries, it took the Roman church to wipe out any connection to its original Jewish roots and heritage. But we, so, so you got to understand how the enemy has worked against the mind and the heart. And these are the influences now that need to be exposed. The obstacles that are still affecting us, obstacles and hindrances that he the enemy still plays upon to maintain and fuel the separation in the body. And this is what where the father's at. He wants these things dealt with. He wants to be able to heal and restore us, remove these influences, cut them away at the roots, 
and so that our thinking and our minds can be renewed. It's interesting, but if you look at the word mercy in Romans 12, in Romans 11, I've given you all over to disobedience that I may have mercy on you all. Then in Romans 12, in light of that mercy, that we should allow the Lord to renew our minds through the washing of the word, then we will be able to taste and see God's will. There's an underlying message here now for us in the church that comes out of this restoration, that as we as we allow the Father to wash us of these influences um, and break these things off, our minds and hearts are going to be cleansed from any residual influences or even curses. Because remember, it says, I'll bless those that will bless Israel, Abraham, and I'll curse those that will curse you. So let's move to the second comment, which is for, for Sophia. Um, because I, I wanted, uh, Sophia is a Jewish believer, and, and I, wanted, uh, I wanted us, uh, um, especially those of us on the Gentile side of the family, to kind of experience what it must have been like. I've asked Sophia to, to, to think about what it may have been like once, once the church formalized, right? And, and a Jewish person recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, Yeshua was the Messiah. What was their option? You know, what were their choices? Go ahead, Sophia. Well, I think initially, before this change took place, what you would have done is you would have initially just had a Jewish believer would have would have had to break away from their people. They would have been rejected from their family members. They would have stayed Jews, but they would have had this faith that that Jesus was the Messiah. And so they would have suffered a lot of persecution, a lot of rejection and completely, I mean, really completely cut off from their people, meaning that, you know, their, their immediate family members would have disowned them completely and totally. Then I think the struggle once the, the church nationalized and, and, you know, a few centuries later, then you have this other struggle that the Jewish believer would have went through that they would have had to adopt Christianity. They could no longer keep their Jewish identity because they would have been put to death, literally. They weren't allowed to intermarry. They weren't allowed to own slaves. I mean, there was a, a lot of pressure to conform and they would have had to renounce Shabbat, which meant that they were no longer allowed to worship from sundown on Friday night to sundown on Saturday night. They would have had to have adopted the Sunday worship. They would have had to hide from um, to honoring the Shabbat, lighting Shabbat candles, um, practicing any of the feasts. They would have either had to disconnect from that identity completely and and immerse into a Gentile or a Christian culture or they would have had to completely hide their um, their Jewish identity from the world and do it behind closed doors. And it's not dissimilar to what happened during other times of persecution of the Jews, like the Holocaust times. So where they would have had to assimilate or hide what they were doing and in being who they were as Jews. And so this must have been a tremendous amount of confusion because they're saying, 
our Messiah came and now I'm supposed to not be who he's created me to be, which is a Jewish believer in my Messiah. And why is it that now my Gentile brethren or who are now my brethren, these Gentile believers get my God. And so I imagine that there was a lot of inner turmoil. Do I assimilate? Do I do it in hiding? And maybe has God even left me? Because now, and what has God done to my people? So I'm no longer get to be the the Jewish, the people of Israel, the Jews that I am. I've got to assimilate into this other culture. So I imagine there was a tremendous amount of confusion, a tremendous amount of rejection, not only from the Gentile believing world, but from the Jewish believing world. And quite frankly, that's what we as um, Messianic Jews still go through because we're rejected by the, the Jewish side of the family that are not believers in Messiah and were often misunderstood or rejected by our Gentile brethren or the Gentile or Christian part of the Ecclesia. So I don't think a whole lot's changed actually. And when with what Paul said is how he thought it was like a slow transformation. I'm I'm not even sure it was ever a trend. Honestly, in my own heart, I think a little bit differently. I don't know that it was ever transformation. I think we were never in unity because when I don't think the Jews ever accepted the Gentiles as a whole. I, I know there's always exceptions initially because that's why you had the church and the council of Jerusalem saying, what do we do with these people? And then I think quickly the Gentiles segregated when you because of geographical situations. And I, I think it was always there. I think it's always been an issue. And I think that's why when we're looking at um, Ephesians, like two and three, before we're getting into the foundation, because you mentioned foundation of the body, which was supposed to be built up on the fivefold or fourfold, depending on how you look at it with the apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. The whole idea of that was to equip the saints for the work to build him up to the until we come to the unity of the faith was talking about in the earlier chapters the unity of the Jews and the Gentiles. I think it was a foundational error that we've been working through all along. Yeah, I I, I would agree with you, Sophia, that, that these things were always there. But if you look at, at at how the first century church operated, there was also a great deal of love and unity that enabled the church. And Paul worked very hard, you know, when you look at it from this perspective. Paul had to work very hard to convince God's children from the nations that they were now equal uh, with the Jews. So a lot of his letters come from that perspective of him convincing God's children from the nations. They're now completely equal in the spirit. Those who are near, those who are far, we're one. You know, there's no difference between us in the spirit. The problem is we've always tried to wipe out each other's identity. And the whole beauty of this restoration is is love and liberty to to be able to express ourselves both jewish believers messianic believers and and christians with these wonderful traditions and expressions of faith that love and liberty should flow through the olive tree to to support and strengthen and love one another this is all about love it's a love equation 
to to bring about this restoration. That's the heart of the Father, what he wants to bring us into, to melt away these obstacles. But we have to take a real hard, honest look at what's there, just like when Nehemiah went to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He, he had to get off his horse. He had to take a look at the wall. There was excrement in it. He had to see the burnt down gates. The it, Jerusalem had been disgraced. And if you look at the church today, um, when the world, through, through a world perspective, we have lost respect, honor, and esteem. And the Father now looks to restore this love and unity. And you've got this body, even the, a lot of the charismatic body, crying out, revival's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Yes, it's coming. But first, we have to get on our knees. First, we have to humble ourselves and allow the Father to restore the love and unity in us and allow the enemy to be, uh, to be, to be exposed and, and, and the Father to empower us to begin to stand against some of these obstacles over the church. Because before Israel can be awakened, the church must be awakened. The veil must come up from the church before it comes up from the people of Israel because the church has a great role, both Jewish and Gentile believers, though one you man, to release the mercy of God, to call on the breath. And I don't think the Father or heaven can receive the right prayers for Israel's rebirthing until this reunification takes place in us. Can we have some other comments from some of the other panelists that haven't spoken yet? As um, Sophia is sharing, you know, I was, and you were talking about foundations, thinking about Martin Luther, you know, and, you know, we, we hold him up in such high esteem, obviously, with the Reformation, but oh my goodness, the things he said towards the end, towards the end, you know, let's set, we ought to set fire to their synagogues for the Jewish people, advise that their houses are razed and destroyed, I advise that their prayer books and Talmudic writings, which are idolatry and cursing and blasphemy, be taken from them. I mean, it's one thing after the other. And here he is. I mean, he's, he's one of the founding fathers, you know, <laughs> of the church. So when you think about even cursing, um, that's such a place of curse. Um, so, I, you know, and I think it's a place for prayer to break off maybe curses coming from, from the impact. And Hitler used his writings. Um, to turn, you know, it to, of course, talk, to, told the, um, the the accusation that, as, as Sophia said, that uh, the Jewish people were the Christ killers. Well, you know, this a lot of this came from Martin Luther. Uh, so, what a breach, and 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 what a horror when I think about it. I've been, so, just my thought at the moment. <laughs> yeah, in the. Ezekiel generation, my second book. Um, I didn't. I didn't want to write some of those those letters. I didn't want to put them in the book. But the publisher insisted that they be in there. And beloved, we need to. Um, you know, when we look back, um, while while we need to obviously recognize some of the wrongs of some of the patriarchs in the church. Um, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Martin Luther had amazing revelation. I think if you ask me, um, and I've written about this in Romans 911, he was seduced. He was sick at the end of his life. He was attacked by hordes of demons. Um, 
in this area because the enemy knew what was at stake. He was one of the fathers of the Protestant movement. And if he could, Satan could get this spirit to carry from the Roman Catholic Church into the Protestant Church, he could cause um, this, this spirit of hatred to perpetuate uh, into the modern era. And that's exactly what happened. And Nazi Germany could never have come about if it wasn't first seduced in the spirit. These things always happen first in the spirit before they manifest in the natural. But we must also bring these things in context and balance. You know, Martin Luther uh, was used mightily of the God to introduce the concept of grace into the church. And um, um, while we know he was wrong, um, he was terribly wrong in, in this area. And the and fortunately, the enemy got the better of him. Um, um, we, we mustn't discredit him for the other things that God used him for. And I think that's important. You know, we're all human. We're all broke, come from a brokenness. None of us are perfect. And um, we, we, you know, we must always look back without condemnation, but we must be willing to look back because looking back is going to expose and bring to us the things we need to understand for us to get free. And that's what the father, that's what the father is really wanting to do at this point is, is to, is to wash us with his mercy and get rid of these influences over us. But before we can do that, we have to recognize it and come into a humility and an earnest repentance in the church for this to take place. Hallelujah. 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 One of the things that I find interesting is a Gentile. Um, so the attack from the Gentiles on the Jewish people is the fact that they rejected Christ. They rejected the Messiah. And when I look at, at Romans, it says, uh, says, did they stumble so as not to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Now, I as maybe not a top theologian, but I look at this and I wonder, because of their transgression, salvation came to the Gentiles. So if they hadn't rejected Messiah, would salvation have come to me as a Gentile? And we've taken this twist where perhaps if they had accepted him, Based on this, it seems like maybe it wouldn't come to us. And we're using what what happened that allows us to enter in as an attack. And I think we should be looking at it as Gentiles in a much different perspective. That's just uh, a thought that I've had and a pondering I've had for a while. Uh, when I look at that scripture, I wonder. Amen. Susan. One of the one of the things I've been thinking about, and I'll, I'll pose it as a question, but I'll also give an opinion. Um, how has the church gotten the wrong message about the reconnection back to Israel, the Jewish people and salvation? What's it supposed to be look like and how do we awaken the body of Messiah to to see that? And, you know, I think a lot of that is based on the malformed identities of both sides of the family. And Sophia mentioned that early on, that that we don't 
as messianic believers and which i am one you know i i didn't know my, and understand my identity when i first came into the church because i came in through the gentile door and so no one talked about the jewishness of messiah no one talked about the jewishness of the scriptures no one talked about any of those things and and so it wasn't actually until i met grant and halley that I began to hear these messages and understand who I really was in Yeshua because I didn't know, I didn't understand. I didn't understand my role of who I was supposed to be, what I was supposed to be doing. Um, the fact that I'm you know, on this team and bringing this message forth is a huge leap from where I was just almost like, is it seven years ago now? And, you know, uh, it was all about my identity because I wasn't understanding who I was meant to be, not only from the Lord, but from the people that were around me. Because they push you into this corridor and say, everyone has to look like this cookie cutter and everyone has to be this and everyone has to do this and everyone has to, you know, evangelize this way to these people and do these things and, you know, Honestly, when I first came to the Lord and someone told me who Yeshua was initially, it took me 20 years for the Lord to actually push me into a church because I never felt comfortable. And once he did that, that was 20 years ago. It's been 40 years now. But I'm finally only in the last seven years understanding who I am in the Lord. And, you know, we need we need truly for Holy Spirit to, to break the veil off the eyes of the church and, and expose not only that, but I honestly, I said this the other day in one of our other meetings, I feel like the Lord is trying to restore his own identity in the church as the Jewish Messiah, because that's who he is. And, you know, people don't talk about that. They don't say the Jewish Messiah, they say the Messiah. And while it's not critical to us being a, a Christian or a Messianic believer to, to know that initially, I think in the long run, when the Jewish king comes back to reign, people need to understand that that's who's coming back. And so that is, you know, in a nutshell. So, so we've gotten, I, I think, the, the body of, of Messiah doesn't really understand how to connect to Israel and the Jewish people and what their salvation is supposed to look like. And the, so that's really what's on my heart. You know, Susan, this brings up a significant point for us to understand in the church that the Lord wants to encourage Jewish believers to live out their identity. This doesn't mean that we get religious or we go back to observing the law, but we need to shine forth Messiah back to the Jewish people. Um, you know, when you look at the Jewish believers in the church in Acts, they, um, they had an assignment to maintain, you know, a connection to their roots and heritage and to uh, to show that that Yeshua was the was Mashiach, and you know, based on on what Sophia shared earlier, you know that we talked about in this section of the book, um, you know, a lot of Christian, most Jewish believers are in the church, 
have crossed over from their Jewish, from their Jewishness. And a lot of them, uh, you know, it was painful for many of them. Uh, and a lot of them just want nothing to do with going back. But the truth is, we need to encourage Jewish believers into their identity. We need to recognize this because instead of us Jewish believers trying to defend that um, our Jewishness, we need to proclaim Mashiach back to the broken off branches who are, are spiritually, if they don't believe in Yeshua, are going to die separate and under the curse of sin and death. And that's the reality of where the Jewish people are at if they don't accept Messiah. And so there is real need for adjustment to come and under deeper understanding of, of, of to encourage Jewish believers to live out the fullness of their identity. And this is beginning. You've got Gateway Church and a number of churches really uh, beginning to encourage uh, Jewish believers, Gateway Church in Dallas, Texas, which is one of the mega churches in, in our country, but they really have an understanding of, of this restoration message. Um, but so much more is needed because here's the thing, you know, Sid Roth says it simplest. If you want Gentiles saved, pray for the Jews. The gospel is to the Jew first and then to the Greek. It never changed. Yeshua came to the Jews first. Paul went to the Jews despite all the rejection, and he keeps going back uh, all the way through through Acts. Uh, but the church changed that principle. And there's eschatology, eschatological perspectives, thinking we'll take the gospel to the nations and God's just going to deal with the Jews at the end. No, the church has a role and a call. What put me on this message path was God using the birth of my firstborn son to show me that Israel must be born through the cries of the church. We have a role, beloved, to fulfill. And as we realign the gospel back to its kingdom principle, it's not just to the Jew, but it releases a greater movement of the spirit into the nations. So there's so much that the Lord is looking now to clean up in us, um, to help us get along and move onto this path. Susan, any any questions or comments you want to bring I, to us? I just wanted to bring one other comment really quickly. Um, my my pre-saved mom, I'll call her. Um, she she's saved under the blood, but she doesn't know it yet. Um, she will let me pray for her using the name Yeshua, but as soon as I say Jesus, she shuts down instantaneously. And so, you know, the dual language that we use here at, at Reconnecting Ministries is so important when you're approaching someone who's of the Jewish faith because they understand and relate to Yeshua as a Jewish man, a Jewish savior, as opposed to Jesus, who in the past hasn't exactly had you know, the church hasn't exactly been kind to the Jewish people in the past. And right away they'll say, oh, I'm not, I can't talk about that because 
they did this and they did this and they did this. But as soon as you say Yeshua, it kind of diffuses that and really, really makes a difference when you say Messiah instead of Christ. You know, things like little little tiny things that make a huge difference along the way. I just want to give a testimony of that. Hallelujah. Kate, go ahead. Um, Actually, I think Gurney answered me in the chat, but I I was just asking about whether the divisions that started uh, in the early church came, is the understanding that it came from within the early church or from outside or both? And um, Gurney had said, you know, the division between Jewish and Gentile portions was the first division. All the other divisions are based upon that. And as we heal that, the others are healed. That is and so key for us to understand that and to pray that the church begins to understand it. Once they get uh, knowledge and revelation that that, you know, the foundation is is cracked. The father is looking to repair it, but we have to do it his way. Remember, when David tried to move the ark himself, what happened? And yet he had to go back and follow uh, direction from scripture that God had already given. The father has laid a pathway. Yeshua cried out for it in John 17. We must allow the father to restore love and unity in the spiritual walls of the church so that the Father can release greater fullness. And I'm telling you, beloved, we may see pockets of a revival and awakening in different places, and we're already hearing about it in in the nations and stuff like that, but we're not going to see the fullness come until we do it the Father's way. And uh, there's no substitute. I can tell you after writing this message and these materials for the last six years, there's no substitute for this restoration. It opens the door to the Father's end time plans, to the fire and the glory that we're so hungry for, but we need to get on what we call restoration bridge. Hallelujah. Can I just say, can I just say one thing? What I think has, what I think has really fueled the division for, for both sides was the final destruction of the temple and the uprooting of the Jewish people from Israel and the renaming of the land by the Romans. That was a, a satanic beyond belief. When you first talked about the foundation, when we started this webinar, I knew in my mind, I could see by the spirit, the crack you were talking about, but I not only saw this, the crack, I saw a pickaxe driven into that foundation. This was not passive. This was of the enemy. And in fact, it was it, it's so pervasive that when Jerusalem was reunited, uh, reunited in 1967, I, I don't think anybody knew what to do about that. So even the Messianic Jews didn't understand at the time how important that really was. So I think there was a, a horrible trauma to the Jewish people and the identity of the Jewish people. Once you took away the temple, where was God? Once you took them away from the land, what would happen to them? And this really, uh, this this really solidified that split in my mind. Well, let me just comment on that, Chris, because um, Again, we we unpack this issue, and while I think the enemy was definitely used to bring that horrific stuff around, we have to understand that judgment is coming on the world for its sins, 
but judgment came first on Israel for its rejection. God gave Israel 40 years. He gave them a whole generation to hear the gospel. Um, and it was a 40 year period. And if you look at judgment in Romans chapter two, it comes first to Israel and then the nations. And so this was also judgment, dispersion, but what the church missed was restoration and the acts of restoration and all the promises and covenants in God's word to restore Israel, which is now in process. Um, beautiful discussion tonight, everyone. And uh, again, anything you want to question or comment, just uh, just reach out to us on the website. Um, we, we will get back to you. We take everything very seriously. This is why we're here. We're here to unpack this message and to really help the body move into it. Beloved, we're just getting started, but we need your help to, to really build out and, and promote this message. Praise God. We'll see you next, next uh, month on the first Thursday of the month. And also come join us every Thursday night in the One You Man intersection. Um, it's always a blessed time. Lots of love, everyone. Thank you, Grant, for that insightful discussion. To dialogue with Grant and Hallie, please send comments and questions to email at romans911.org. Again, that's email at romans911.org. If you resonate with the Romans 911 project, please pray about partnering with us to bring this reconnection message to the threshold of the church. Sign up for our monthly email. Join our global virtual meetings with other believers to dialogue and pray together. And most important, read the Romans 911 book, Time to Sound the Alarm, and view the Romans 911 study guide, 12 to 14 hour video teachings, which are free when you purchase the study guide. The Romans 911 books and teachings are transformational into God's end time plans to prepare the bride and reform the church. They help to create the breakthrough that will change the world. The reconnection message is like a golden key from the heart of the Father to restore love and unity in God's family that opens the door to the fulfillment of Yeshua's prayer in John 17. And it establishes the pathway for the body of Messiah, the body of Christ, to receive the greater glory. But this reconnection message in the one new man has been hidden during the church age in the mystery to reawaken Israel to faith and is only just now coming to light. That's why we need your help to fund this project, to bring the message forth, to help us blow the holy shofar, to awaken the greater church into this restoration. Now is the time. Would you pray to give Chai, to give life to the reconnection, to reach the church and the messianic body and help unite the family of God? To fund the Romans 911 project, we have created the Give Chai Life Campaign. Chai is a Hebrew word meaning life, but it also represents the number 18. And for just one Chai, $18 a month, you can make a difference. Please be prayerful about this. We can't do this without precious saints like yourself who are beginning to get this revelation to help us bring this message before the church. For more information on the Romans 911 project, 
please visit our website at Romans911.org. It's easy to remember, Romans911.org. Please also subscribe to the Romans 911 Project wherever you listen to podcasts at the end.